Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare, helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933. Online at mypremierortho.com. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times. I'll be joined by with uh, by Joe Wren from WFIU and WTIU. And today we're going to talk with Indiana University Athletic Director Fred Glass. If you uh, have questions or comments, you can phone us at 855-0811 or toll-free 877-285-9348. And the web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition so fred welcome thanks bob glad to be here thanks for having me glad to have you back it's always a pleasure to have you here and there's there's a lot of news to talk about with iu athletics uh, these days that's for sure thankfully so (laughs) yeah so the basketball season just ended uh, uh, run to the sweet 16 a lot of uh, national press national publicity um so sort of give me your impressions was it a surprise to you that the season unfolded the way it did you know, it really was. I, uh, I, I I try not to have specific expectations about any of our programs because things change, kids get hurt, you know, and so I think it's dangerous to set any objective uh, expectations or, or requirements, certainly, on any of our coaches. But I really thought, you know, if we were able to qualify for postseason play, and I was including the NIT in that, I thought that'd be a huge step forward given where we had been. So, um, uh, you know, we obviously blew through that and went from – an NIT bid to a lock in the NCAA. The only question was seeding, and, and then uh, and then to win the first two games and make the Sweet 16, you know, was way beyond my expectations. Beating the three top five ranked teams in the regular season, um, you know, and 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 one story that's not talked about too much is this team really kind of defended the honor of the 75 and 76 teams by preventing Kentucky from going undefeated during the regular season. So uh, you know, it was it was really pretty spectacular in every regard, and it was great to see Tom and the kids get rewarded for all the hard work they've put in over the last several years. So you talk about expectations, and now the expectations are sort of mammoth for next year. I mean, it's a it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna f- find out what it uh, feels like to not be the upstart, uh, fun new kids on the block, and all that. We'll be the be the hunted as opposed to the hunters in some ways but that's great i mean that's 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 what you want to be you want to have high expectations and um, indiana university basketball has always been about that and it's great to see us getting back there i liked your comment in uh, this morning's paper of course uh, the one that said well you know a number one ranking this time of year and 11 bucks will get you some sort of weird drink at starbucks and as i told you before the show some one of our commenters actually thought you know you knew how much you know, you were drinking eleven dollar coffee drinks at Starbucks, but right. that was, I guess, didn't, you know, I guess the sarcasm wasn't really right. Well, it got a little lost because uh, you know when I was talking to Dustin, I went through about a f- ten phrase thing: a mocha latte, vodka tonic, vodka lakadaki. Because I I don't drink any of those things, um, so I'm 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 uh, I'm uh, sorry that one of your readers thought I was uh, being serious. <laughs> yeah, but it it is a uh, it is tough to have that target on your back. Although you'd rather be that good and have the expectations that high than than not i guess so. oh absolutely and and like i mentioned to dustin i you know i think we all ought to enjoy this and it's a little silly you know this this early people you know making those speculations but that's the world in which we live with the social media and all that crazy stuff but let's enjoy that i mean you know iu basketball's back ranked preseason number one i mean that's that's good stuff and regardless of how the season uh unfolds let's enjoy that part now because i think it's terrific so how does this uh you know how does this manifest itself in terms of revenue for for the athletic department um in terms of of support maybe from some people that you hadn't been hearing from before I think the best, uh, the most important value that that we get is really intangible. People feel really good about Indiana basketball again. And as crazy as it sounds, but I know it because I grew up in this state, went to this school, um, all that, um, it makes you feel good about just being a Hoosier generally. And it makes you feel good about your university. And it makes you feel good about the athletic department. 
you know, all these people are telling me, hey, you're doing a great job, and I'm kind of doing the same job I was doing when we were five and, you know, 57 or whatever. Um, but people just feel better about things. And uh, I think that's I think that's good for admissions, and it's good for the foundation, and it's good um, for everybody. So I think that's a really, really big deal. It's helped morale in our department in the basketball program and, and I think really among our alumni generally. Uh a little more tangibly, um, our gifts are up at the varsity club. I think that's probably a result of people feeling good about the basketball program. Um, our our overall revenues were over budget for basketball during the regular season. That's certainly a result of them doing better and, and much uh, appreciated and needed in a department that's largely underfunded. Um, we don't get big fat checks. A lot of people think, you know, as you go into the tournament, you know, you get these big checks. We don't get those. Um, we uh, enjoy revenue sharing that goes into the Big Ten and gets distributed out over multiple years, but there's really no uh, big payday like there was in the old days. You know, when I think it was '87, the '87 national championship, by you got like a three million dollar check or something and built out the what was now the old football complex. Um, and then there's some costs associated with it. So in terms of our actual operating budget, it's a hit to us. Uh, with the uh, with the bonuses and and uh, travel and all that, but it's a hit that we love to have, and overall, it's a absolutely great thing. You mentioned bonuses, uh, and and again, the story in the paper this morning, you mentioned it as well. But uh, a lot of coaches' contracts have built-in bonuses for success. And what was in Tom's contract? Uh, Tom has a variety of uh, of uh, bonuses. Um, coaches don't like you to call them incentives because they say we have plenty of incentive. This is a performance bonus. Um, and it was, uh, if I'm recalling correctly, $25,000 for qualifying for the NCAA tournament, $25,000 for advancing to the second round or what they call the third round now, and then $35,000 for making the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and frankly, I should have written him a check for being coach of the year because I think he clearly was. Certainly in the Big Ten, I would argue in the country as well, and I think it's a real injustice that that, that he wasn't uh, voted that. Yeah, I, got, I know there are a lot of good coaches out there, but I, the kind of turnaround from a 12-victory season to a 27-victory season just doesn't happen very often, particularly uh, when you're playing the kind of competition that Indiana plays. So I was pretty surprised myself to see that he wasn't really uh, mentioned that much. Yeah, I, I was. I, I really don't get it. I don't. I don't have an answer for that. Right. All right. Fred Glass is uh, our guest today. He's the athletic director at Indiana University. We're talking about uh, some IU athletic. We've been talking about basketball, of course, but we're going to move on to some other topics as well. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at eight five five zero eight one one or eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. The web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. You know, you talk about expectations. I, have, I want to bring up football because mm-hmm. the expectation for football in Bloomington is always very low. I mean, what, what basketball's experience, ninth in the Big Ten expectation or whatever, has been uh, fairly typical for football. Um, what are your expectations for football this year without putting a you know, number of victories on it? Yeah, and like I said before, I really avoid uh, the number of victories thing and all that. But I, what I look for in, in every program is improvement. And sometimes that's reflected in the one-loss record. Sometimes that's not. And sometimes 3-8 and eight in one sport can be unacceptable, and 3-8 and eight in another sport is, is, is fabulous. So you have to be careful with that. But um, I'm, I'm looking forward to progress. I'm seeing progress. I've been out to practice a lot. I was out there. Uh, last night, I really, really like the kids uh, in the program. Um, I think that uh, they are more used to uh, Kevin and the new staff and their approach, and I think in turn the new staff and Kevin are more uh, um, comfortable with uh, with where they are in the in the process and in their new roles. It's a big deal to go from being a offensive coordinator, even at a place like Oklahoma, to being a head coach anywhere. Um, so I, I think there's been a lot of progress just in the chemistry in the approach. Got some great new kids. We got some six JUCO kids in. Really, really good kids, not only athletically but character-wise and academically as well. So I feel like there's a lot of momentum. It's a very um, student-led team, which any coach will tell you is a very important aspect of that. And you know, we'll we'll see how the the wins and losses work out. But I, I think we're absolutely making progress. And I take a long view with the football program because you know over the. 128 history of Indiana, 128 year history of Indiana football. There haven't been a whole lot of, uh, 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 you know, great uh, seasons or really turning around a whole 
long-term program, not just a not just a season or two. And I think Kevin's really doing the right stuff and getting us going in the right direction. Yeah, I want to ask you about about your contract philosophy because Tom's Tom Crean has a ten-year contract, mm-hmm. correct? And, correct. And Kevin Wilson, if I remember, you gave a seven-year contract to right. when he came in. So you know, guy with a seven-year contract. First year, one and eleven. The team didn't look all that good on the field. And what kinds of? I'm sure you must hear some feedback about that. Right, right. Well, you know, I I think it's important that we give continuity a try at IU. I I don't, I don't. You know, I'm the fifth athletic director in eight years, Bob. And you know, and there were a lot of good people in that group. But but you just can't get any traction uh, if you don't have continuity. And I'm not the you know the the best athletic director in the world, or the, I'm certainly not the most experienced athletic director in the world. But one thing I can bring is a love for the university and some some continuity. You know, my boss has a long term contract with the board. He hired me. This is the last job I want to have. So I think that continuity is important. I think it's important with coaches too. I I should probably look back and see what the average tenure of a head coach, head football coach at Indiana University is since Bill Mallory was here. But I'm guessing you'd be measuring that more in months than years um, right. for a whole bunch of reasons that were both, you know, tragic and, and uh, self-inflicted and coincidental. And, you know, it sort of doesn't matter. But but you can't get traction in a program when your average coach is there, you know, what, a couple of years, two or three years. Hmm. So I thought it was important to, to send a signal that we're sticking with this guy. You know, we're, we're giving him the time to do it right. No shortcuts, no pixie dust, no rabbits out of the hat. Let's build the thing in the right way and do that with seven years. My predecessor gave Tom the 10-year contract, mm-hmm. um, but I think that was the exact right thing to do. And I think that's great um, that, 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 that we were committed to doing it the right way. And I think that gave Tom the, the, the comfort to do it the right way. And, you know, it's easy to forget now, but in, in the first two, three, four years, the natives were a little restless, inappropriately so, I thought, because of the hole he was trying to dig out of. But I think having that long-term contract helped Tom you know, feel comfortable doing it the, the right way. We just hired a women's basketball coach. I gave him a six-year contract mm-hmm. because I think we need to commit and stick with a program. So I, I, th- I think the long-term contracts are, uh, are um, um, an appropriate way to uh, uh, encourage our coaches to build the programs the right way and not always be looking over their shoulder. Mm-hmm. All right, 855-0811-877-285-9348 and wfiu.org slash noon edition if you want to talk to uh, Fred Glass today, the Indiana University Athletic Director. He's got uh, he's got things to say about all sorts of uh, subjects, <laughs> sports subjects, and probably a lot of other subjects. He, he actually has the title of Vice President of the University as well, so he's tied into a lot of things. Um, you mentioned uh, the IU Women's Program. Kurt Miller has been hired from Bowling Green uh, University. Um, can you talk a little bit about that decision? That must have been a little tough for you because you gave Felicia Liggett Jack uh, an extension last year and uh, must have had certainly great hopes that it would work out or you wouldn't have done that. So then it didn't work out this year and you had to I – I remember when you said coming in you wanted contracts to mean something in Indiana. But yet an extension of the contract, then you had to, to let her go. Right. Um, it was very hard because I'm uh, very, very fond of Felicia. I think she's done a great, uh, uh, great things in the community as well as on the court. I mean, she's in very in a variety of ways a really excellent coach and, and had some success early on in her tenure. She had been here, you know, six years uh, and in the early years did well and in the, in the later years uh, not so well. And I did give her an extension last year uh, under the belief that that's what she needed to uh, demonstrate um, some staying power to to uh, to recruit and retain the kind of kids she felt like she needed, and so it was a bit of a leap of it was, it was more of a bit. It was a leap of faith to uh, to give her the tools that I thought she needed, and I thought she would be successful. Um, and I was patient with that. I wasn't necessarily expecting you know Big Ten championships or NCA appearances, mm-hmm. but 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 the season was so uh, bad, frankly, that I thought it had gotten to the point where she. She's not going to be able to pull it out of that nosedive um, for a lot of reasons at that point were beyond her control because of the perception of the program and and so forth and so on. And so, you know, I made I made the tough decision, uh, tough decision not only because of my fondness for Felicia, but because I had just given her the two year extension uh, because, look, you know, I'm going to make mistakes. And I think I think the problem that people like that in positions like me get into is they stubbornly stick with something because they don't want to look like they're uh, you know indecisive or they made a mistake and I got no problem saying I made a mistake you know I've, I've made 
a lot of them, and I'll make a lot more of them. I think that the problem is when you when you refuse to acknowledge them. So in retrospect, that was certainly uh, a, a mistake. Um, but uh, I don't think, frankly, it's really inconsistent with the um, the comment about um, contracts need to mean something here because that was in the context of before I even got hired, people were calling on me to fire Bill Lynch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was in, the, like, the second year of a four-year contract, and I felt like he hadn't get, been given the opportunity that Indiana had promised him. Mm-hmm. And that might have been a better way to say that than, than, than the way I did. But I think what we owe our coaches is, is the opportunity to be successful that we promised them when we gave them their contracts. And, frankly, even though um, made the decision to uh, terminate Felicia's contract after extending it, she had been here six years, and I think she'd had the. I think she'd had a fair opportunity to be successful. And reasonable people can disagree about that, and caller may call in and tell me I'm all wet, and that's fine. But that's that, you know that's my my view of it. Um, shifting gears to to Kurt Miller, I I couldn't be more excited. We honed in on him fairly early. Uh, we've got a, a small group of uh, candidates that we uh, interviewed personally um, and brought two on campus. And frankly, I think either one of them would have been fabulous coaches. But Kurt emerged as the one we really wanted, and we offered him the job, and he's the only person we offered. And, and uh, you know, he's been amazing at Bowling Green. One of the most telling statistics, I think, is over the last eight years, his teams have either won the uh, tournament title, the regular season title, or both. I mean, that's through multiple yeah. recruiting classes. That's dramatic staying power. In 11 years at Bowling Green, he was named Coach of the Year six times. He's produced All-Americans. Two starters on his team this year were from Indiana. Uh, he knows the state, knows recruiting. So we had set out a, uh, a list of things that we really wanted and high up were, you know, uh, plays an Indiana style of basketball, able to recruit in this state, able to recruit in this region. Um, and, uh, and and Kurt is uh, A-plus on all those uh, aspects. Mm-hmm. Of course, one of the two uh, Indiana kids is Kayla Hall's, um, Jordan's sister from right here in Bloomington. So Actually, she's a third because, you know, she had an ACL s- surgery, so okay. she didn't play this year. But two of their starters were on the Carmel State Championship team, and, okay. and then Kayla was the third on their, on their team. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I want to – Talk a little bit about a couple of other sports, real, real briefly, and then mm-hmm. we're gonna, I got a lot of other things I want to get into. Sure. But, uh, one is I, the Big Ten golf tournament is coming up, and it's going to be at French Lick. Um, how'd that come about? Yeah, the Big Ten. You know, the pendulum swings back and forth, and uh, and uh, the, there had been a, a, a prejudice toward having uh, championships on campuses so they could move around and everybody gets a chance and. Now the pendulum's swinging back to do a little bit more of a neutral site preference, um, so that you've got the best, uh, you know, facility and, and people who are used to putting those on and so forth and so on. And so the the folks down at uh, French Lick made a pitch to to have um, French Lick be the neutral site for the Big Ten Men's and Women's Golf Championship. Um, and you know, it passed with the Big Ten. We were big supporters of that for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, and uh, so I, I think it's like a five-year contract. So it'll be the, down there. There'll be great golf. It'll be great courses. Um, unfortunately, the um, Big Ten saw fit to uh, put in a prohibition that our team's not allowed to play that course during the regular season because they thought it would give us an undue advantage. And and um, and you know that's too bad. But in any event, it'll be it'll be great. It's close by. Uh, it'll be great for the state. It'll be great for. Uh, French Lick, and uh, we're real excited about that this year. Yeah, I, I guess I I didn't really understand how that came about. So it's got there's a five year contract for that to be. Yeah, I think here? I think it's five year. Um, you know, and, it, and it's 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 uh it's consistent with us increasingly moving to uh, neutral site games. You know, okay. baseball um, has traditionally always been in Columbus. Uh, they've got a great you know minor league park there, fairly centrally located, so forth and so on. We're moving that way in track and field. We're obviously that way with the uh, football championships, basketball championships. Um, and I'm just really glad that we'll generate that economic activity in southern Indiana. So will Indiana play as uh, the host school? I mean, will you will you be hosting? So Correct. We'll be the host school, much like, you know, Tulane was the host school for the Final Four in, in – uh, in uh, New Orleans and Butler is um, for when the Final Four is in Indianapolis and okay. so forth. All right. Um, so the idea that, that the uh, golf tournament is going to be in French Lick brings up the 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 uh, 
my thoughts about the golf course here, which is some something that I think has uh, has generated a few years ago generated a good bit of conversation because there was a plan to put a to an extra eighteen holes I think at the the current location. Is there anything on the books now for trying to improve IU's golf facilities? Well, first of all, I think we absolutely need to improve the facilities. The course is uh, in need of some improvement. Um, you know, the lore is that Herman Wells went out there with a backhoe and basically carved out the course, which isn't too far off, uh, <laughs> you know, actually. Uh, and we have some great facilities. We have a new golf building there, which is great. We have a, uh, a, a, a what's called a practice facility where the kids can practice putting and pitching, and that's that's first class. And so we've got a lot of positives, but but right now, competitively, our, our golf course isn't, isn't one of them. Um, I think the... The approach of the golf course, in my view, really needs to be a university uh, approach. Candidly, from an athletic department perspective, we don't we don't need the golf course. Um, you know, our kids practice a lot of other places. We've got the practice facility and so forth and so on. It's great to have. We like it, but I think it's more of a university and community asset. And and the uh, the improvements needed, I think, will need to be a university community uh, approach. And so while the Athletic Department's a steward of that, and we're doing everything we can to keep that in as good a shape as possible. A big fix to dramatically improve it is probably going to need to be, um, you know, a broader initiative. Because I do th- – it's a, it's a great thing. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's essentially on campus, certainly compared to other schools. Um, I think it can be a magnet for economic activity for the community. I think it could be a magnet for, uh, um, you know, people relocating to Bloomington, having events in Bloomington. So I think it's a great asset. It probably needs to be improved. Uh, and athletics really wants to be a part of that, but probably it'll be, need to be a broader coalition. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, other facilities that are on the books: baseball, softball. Yeah, baseball and softball. As as uh, as you know, Bob, um, that's really a priority that that I inherited uh, from my uh, predecessor. An appropriate priority, in my view. Originally, um, the package of improvements was going to include Cook Hall, the basketball development mm-hmm. facility, the North End Zone project. Um, the academic center, baseball and softball. And by the time everything got sorted out, they ended up only having money for Cook Hall and the North End Zone. Um, I made the academic center the biggest priority uh, when I got here, and we developed that. It's a $3 million project, and it's beautiful and incredible and and, uh, a a real plus, not only for our student-athletes, but we make it available to students on the general campus. So it's a nice opportunity for us to integrate with uh, the general student body. But the next things were baseball and softball, and I think that the right priorities for a variety of reasons. But uh, chief among them is that we recruited a baseball coach, a softball coach, an awful lot of kids with the promise of a, of stadiums. It just never happened. Uh, we prioritize that. We've we've raised money, um, got the design done, um, and we will be our bids will be in the field very soon, and we should break ground this spring and then be playing baseball and softball in the respective stadiums next year in 2013. So where are those stadiums going to be? Um, well, for old uh, Hoosiers like me, the state police post yes, uh, is a, is a <laughs> benchmark, exactly right, and yeah. the softball stadium will be sort of just south of the old state police post, and then the um, the, the baseball stadium will be next, next to that. So close to the bypass on the northern side, I guess northern, I'm not great with directions, but where where uh, where Fee Lane goes into the um, bypass, they'll be out there, and it'll. In addition to being great venues for those sports, I think they'll be a they'll be beautiful buildings. They'll be iconic entryways, not only to the athletic campus but the university campus. And part of the master, it's consistent with the master plan that the trustees passed. And part of what the trustees are doing is creating gateways and and. Uh, um, iconic features as you enter various parts of campus and this will be part of that so uh, i think it'll be it'll be pretty cool not only for athletics but for the university generally okay we're talking with uh, fred glass today the uh, indiana university's athletic director if you want to join us for the second half of the program please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 the web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition we'll be right back
This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville, information at smithville.net, and from Premier Ortho, online at mypremierortho.com. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. That I really focus on was 67. Oh, yeah. Here we go. We're, we're back. <laughs> Fred and I were having a little conversation about Major League Baseball while we were off. So we're back. Uh, I'm Bob Salzberg with the Herald Times along with uh, Joe Wren. I think I see Joe Wren entering the building. So Joe's going to join us for the second half of the program. Uh, Fred Glass is our guest today. Fred is the Indiana University Athletic Director. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. The web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. So, Joe, thanks for uh, joining us for the second half of the show. I know you, you're a late sub, late sub for Mary Catherine. Well, thanks for having me. It's sure, good to be here. Sure. <laughs> they, they don't trust me to do this by myself, Fred. I'm sorry. <laughs> Pretty good first half. I uh, thought we yeah, did okay. Uh, yeah, I yeah. think so, too. I was listening to you. You sounded great. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I have several um, topics that I want to talk about the second half of the show that are really more a little more general than about IU athletics, uh, some issues and the college sports scene, paying players for one or having some sort of a stipend. Um, that's the first one I want to talk about. I know um, there have been you know, lots of conversations, lots of issues come up with how, boy, the money is really getting out of hand. You've got coaches that are making multi-millions of dollars, and yet the players aren't allowed to, you know, in a lot of ways, they aren't even allowed to have a job. I mean, they, they can't make any money, and they're the ones that are, are actually being used to put this product on the field or on the court. Um, where do you stand on that? Well, um, we, we make a, a distinction I think is important, but it can be kind of a nuance maybe for people that don't pay really close attention to it, that I'm uh, a big advocate of, of giving the kids the full cost of attendance um, but not um, paying them over and above that. So the idea is when a, when a kid uh, – like if you file the FAFRA form or whatever it is for your kid – uh, figuring out uh, financial aid, it's like okay, books are so much, and tuition so much, and room and board so much, and then there's like the kind of the cost of getting around, personal expenses that they usually add in, depending on your campus, a couple thousand dollars, three thousand dollars, so they've got pizza and laundry money and all that kind of stuff. We we are allowed to give scholarships for kids for the books and the fees and the room and board and the tuition, but not the uh, expense money. And one of the big reforms is hey, we ought to at least do that because. As you suggest, Bob, it's impossible almost for these kids to have jobs outside of what is essentially year-round training one way or another. You know, when I was here, I worked at Benson Hoosier Liquor Store and Collegiate Printers and Jeremiah Sweeney's and, you know, made a little money. And, well, there's and, some blasphemy. Yeah, back. right. So, um, and I could do that because, you know, I basically wasn't doing anything. I was barely going to class, so so I certainly wasn't, you know um, – uh, doing all this training and stuff. So in recognition that they can't do that, I think we should give them the full cost of attendance, and that's working its way through the NCAA as part of the reforms for that. Um, I don't think we should pay them over and above what is essentially the cost of their education for a variety of reasons. One is I think I think that the claim that we should do that um, undervalues what they're getting, which is an education at a school like Indiana University, mm-hmm. which will uh, you know make them winners throughout the rest of their lives. That's a big deal. It costs real money. I, I spend $12 million a year. The athletic department spends $12 million a year to pay for those. You know, We don't get that for free. It's a common misconception. We raise money so that we can pay the tuition bills, the room and board bills, the books bills, the fee bills. And that's a big deal, and that's a big value to those uh, kids. Secondly, I think it creates all kinds of logistical issues about where do you draw the lines? Is it just for the revenue sports, or is it for, it's for, or is it for everybody? 
And if it's for everybody, where does that money come from? Um, even if it's just for the revenue sports, where does that money come from? And then thirdly, um, I think it, it, it moves us away from the collegiate model. And I talk about a collegiate model, not an amateurism model. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of silly to talk about amateurism when these kids are so intently focused on what they're doing. But I do think it's fair to talk about a collegiate model that's based upon institutions of higher education as opposed to a development league or, or even a, a major league where the kids are paid. And what would the marketplace look like if, you know, if kids are paid? And, and I mean, it's, there's a subculture of that that's bad enough. But if it, was, if, if it started to replace the collegiate model, I think that'd be really bad. So I'm going to get on my soapbox here for just a second, then, sure. I'll, then, I'll, then I'll jump off. Um, I think intercollegiate athletics is is an institution that is under siege. Um, we had the uh, Ohio State debacle uh, with the tattoos and all that, and that was horrific, and everybody was uh, you know grossed out by that. And then we have Miami of Florida, where the guy is the booster is buying <clears throat> drugs and women and all that, which was beyond the pale. I mean, I, I really couldn't even really get my arms around that at all. And of course, that's you know the worst thing that could ever happen. And then Penn State happened, which is even worse than what happened in my in Miami. And so, you know, I listen to a lot of sports talk radio, national stuff, and and people just kind of mock the collegiate model, or or they mock people saying student athlete because these 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 scandals have eroded people's confidence in intercollegiate athletics. And the fact that we're a twenty four hour news cycle, social media, the loudest, most obnoxious person makes the best TV just makes it all worse. But we're not alone. A lot of important institutions are under siege, I would suggest. The Catholic Church, Congress, the media itself, that doesn't mean those institutions are bad. In fact, I'd suggest to you they're all critically important. But they, they're in trouble for the same reasons we are. They do stupid things. They sometimes do scandalous things. And sometimes they fail to reform themselves. And I think uh, President Emmert is really uh, working hard through things like cost of attendance, multi-year aid, to you know, reform intercollegiate athletics because it's a good thing. Hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollars are going to scholarships to kids that wouldn't otherwise be raised uh, because of intercollegiate athletics. African American males have a 15 percent increased likelihood over their general student body counterparts to graduate um, because of intercollegiate athletics. Women, African American student athletes, have a 22 percent increased likelihood of graduating over their uh, counterparts in the general student body. Um, a lot of good things are happening in intercollegiate athletics. I'm proud to be part of intercollegiate athletics, but that's not to say there's a variety of reforms that we don't need to institute. Right. Well, I want to follow up on that, but we have a phone call. Excellent. First, so let's go to John on the phone. John? Uh, yes, thanks for taking my call. I've got a comment and a question. First off, my comment is that we refer to uh, – the athletes are student-athletes, and it seems to me that really we're using the wrong noun and the wrong uh, adjective there. That Really, we're talking about students that are athletic students, and I think that will put the focus in the right place. The, the question I have has to do with, um, I think I read in the paper um, that basketball team has got some issues with athletic pro- or academic progress. I'm not sure if that's correct or what the phrase is. I wonder if you could enlighten us uh, a little bit about that. Yeah, thanks, John. I appreciate that. Uh, what you're referring to is the APR, which is the academic progress rate, which is the snapshot uh, uh, metric of how well the kids are moving toward graduation. So the overall graduation rates trail the actual class by some number of years, and the NCA, I think appropriately so, wanted a, a tighter metric that, that is more of an uh, immediate and contemporary snapshot of how kids are moving toward the graduation rate. Uh, a perfect graduation rate is 1,000, and a, an acceptable APR is generally viewed as somewhere between 925 and 930. So when Secretary of Education Arne Duncan is talking about um, having a requirement that schools have a minimum um, APR in order to qualify for postseason play, that's usually in the 925 to 930 mark. Um, when Tom Crean arrived on campus, the APR he inherited was 817, which is less than incredibly bad. Um, if you say that to somebody who's really familiar with the APR, they, they, they faint or vomit or something like that. I mean, 817 is, is ridiculous. Tom, the last three years, has had 1,000. He's had a perfect APR for three years uh, in a row, and the way they measure that APR is it's a multi-year 
deal. So the rat has to work its way through the snake on the thing, and the 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 the, the Samson years, and frankly, the Davis years have to fall off. And thankfully, in, in, in great measure because of Tom's commitment to academics, we're now solidly in the high nine hundreds. Nowhere near an issue with the uh, with the with the with the uh, prohibition on postseason play, and uh, um, and reflective of these three perfect scores in a row. What you may have seen, John, was the um, uh, USA Today had an inaccurate report based on old data that suggested that Indiana would not have qualified for the tournament. Um, that was true three years ago when we were coming off the eight seventeen, but but hasn't been true for a long time. And in fact, you know, with with the perfect APR scores, um, our 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 basketball program is probably one of the best APRs in the country. Thank you. Right, Thank you, John. John. John, I really appreciate that call because I was going to ask you the same thing. I know IU, I looked up some data this morning. I used APR in 2009 was 866. So it had started to go up, but it was still, and I think you got a letter that year that said, hey, you guys need to really improve on this. So Right. We had, a, we had to do, because of the way it had fallen down, we had to do an APR improvement plan. We filed it with the NCAA. We did a variety of things to try to demonstrate that. It included, you know, uh, increased number of academic advisors, um, uh, a, a direct report of mine who focused on that and so forth and so on. And so, you know, candidly, I think the department gets some credit for that, but I think it was Tom. It's, it's always all about the coaches, whether it's compliance, academics, or whatever it is. And Tom Crean's personal commitment to academics, and you should see the, the, the daily matrix he gets about kids. If they have a quiz, if they have a test, if they have a paper, he's asking them about it. Um, it's his commitment that I think's really moved um, the APR up and and, uh, and and ultimately the good work of the kids. I remember last year coming over here one day for um, – this. I'm switching to football now, but coming over here to do a program was in maybe August and – there was a little guy sat out. He wasn't so little, but his vehicle was little. It was a golf cart. And I said, you know, I just introduced myself, asked him what he's doing. He said, I'm with the athletic department. I'm checking to make sure everybody's in class. Right. So I guess you're sending guys around just to say, okay. Yeah. No, we, we take it very, very seriously. And, uh, you know, it's just me with Sherry Dunbar, our terrific volleyball coach. And, and uh, her rule is uh, if you're not sitting in the front two rows, it doesn't count to be in class. So if they go and they look, and if a kid's in the fourth row, that counts as a missed class because she expects them to be in the front two rows paying attention to business. Wow. I, I would have been in bad shape. <laughs> All right. Our phone number is again, 855-0811-877-285-9348. The web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. You know, and I think, too, we just heard in the news yesterday, maybe this morning, about the UConn men's basketball program. Uh, that was an APR issue as well, where now they're banned from the tournament next year, I believe. Yeah, exactly so, right, and I, I, you know, I, I endorse that. I think yeah. that's, I think that's the right, right thing to do. And frankly, they wouldn't have been eligible for the tournament last year when they were the national champions. So I think there needs to be real consequences for that. And and uh, you know, coaches and administrators are pretty good mice. They know how to find the cheese. And uh, if if the cheese is we've got to be over nine thirty in APR, they'll get over nine thirty in APR, and that'll be a good thing. Well, and talking about just the whole education as well with student athletes. I was impressed myself not knowing all that goes on. I think fans, they watch a game, that's all they see. They don't know all that's going on in the background. I was waiting for a press conference for a football uh, once, and we were down in the new Student Academic Center. I couldn't believe the activity of people coming in and out constantly and how big it was. Can you talk a little bit about how that new academic center has been a huge boost to the athletic program? Yeah, thanks, Joe. That's that's uh, that, that was, that's been a major initiative of, of, of ours. We We had about 2,000 square feet in assembly hall that was, frankly, embarrassing. Kids sitting in hallways and their laptops or training table. It was, it was embarrassing. And now we have a 26,000 square foot state of the art, you know, located right on the athletic campus. Um, the the what they call the branding, but the pictures and the things on the walls reinforce the values that we have. Our spirit of Indiana 24 sports one team. Um, and it's a great place for the, the kids to collect and have a center of gravity. This is this was an unexpected but happy uh, consequence of that. The first year the, the academic center was online, our tutoring budget went up 100% because the kids were enjoying being there, uh, making more use of resources, and that was great. I mean, it cost us you know whatever amount of money, but it meant that more kids were taking more advantage of the resources that we have in our academic support. And uh, I think uh, we went from the, you know, 
laughably the 11th, you know, saying we were 11th place at the time in the Big Ten would have been uh, generous because we were so far behind the next worst uh, academic center. But now we're the fourth largest and, like I said, I think the most technologically advanced, the most student-friendly. And the thing I was mentioning to Bob that I'm really proud of is that uh, during the day when our when our um, uh, you know stu- when our student athletes are in class, um, we open up the academic center for the general student body to have classes because one of our four priorities is to be integrated with our university. And I think the more we can demystify the athletic campus and have kids over there taking French and archaeology and economics and whatever. Uh, the better it is, and the the campus is in a is in a classroom crisis, and we're able to support that. So, it's it's worked on a number of levels. And thanks for asking the question because we're really proud of the academic center. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, the the game, the day that IU beat Kentucky in basketball was it was one of two big stories that day in college basketball. The other one, if I'm remembering the dates right, was the um, Xavier Cincinnati fight mm-hmm. in the because uh, I remember watching. ESPN and those were the two big stories on on that particular day. Um, you know the intensity of play, the the um, sort of the ferocity of of the physical play in basketball seems to you know lead to uh, every year something like that happens. Are there things that are steps that are being taken to try to make sure that that uh, things don't get out of hand like uh, that Cincinnati Xavier game did? Well, whenever I see something like that, my first reaction is there for the grace of God go I. How can we how can we uh not say, Well that can never happen here because we're Indiana University, but um, you know, how can we learn the lesson from another place? Um and I've had that feeling whether it's Ohio State or the Florida uh, uh Miami, Florida incident or even Penn State. Um because I, I I I sometimes cringe when I hear some of my colleagues say, well, we're X, and it could never happen here. And okay. that's like the kiss of death. Having said all that, um, you know, I think, it, I think it gets set by the coaches. The coaches are so critical. And I, I don't know if you guys recall, but, but uh, toward the end of the Penn State home game this year, it got pretty ugly. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, uh, tempers were on edge. And there were two different incidents that, that I think could have gone over, over, the, over the edge. But frankly, you know, I, I saw Tom was in complete control of that bench. And all the assistants, including Calvert Chaney, and every, everybody knew what to do and knew what the expectation was and just got nipped in the bud, as Barney Fife would say. <laughs> and, and, uh, um, and so I'm not saying it couldn't happen here, but that was a point of pride to me that those guys, they don't leave that to chance. You know, they, they make sure that uh, to the greatest extent they can when it's a game in the heat of battle that uh, people know where the lines are and they stay on this side of them. Mm-hmm. All right. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. And the web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Joe, do you have any? Yeah, I was just wondering, too, there was a recent um, press release out, and I don't know if you've hit this yet, but that the IU men's basketball team, the third most valuable college basketball program in the country, um, Wall Street Journal published that, but it was done at a study, I believe, at IU, Purdue, and Columbus. Mm -hmm. Correct. How does that come to be? Do you know all that was taken into into that uh, survey? Yeah, I haven't read the I, I, I've, I've read the article. I okay. haven't, I haven't yeah. dug into the survey, but I, I think it's a great tribute to uh, to uh, Indiana University and Indiana University basketball that we could be ranked third because here we sit in Bloomington, Indiana. We're not a major uh, you know metropolitan area. I think Louisville was number one in that study. Yes, and, it was. Yeah, and the Yum Center is like an NBA arena, and and mm-hmm. and the University of Louisville is like an NBA team in that. You know, arguably NBA sized mm-hmm. city, so you can readily see how how there would be so much value generated there. You know, we've got a forty year old uh, arena. We don't have really premium seats or or, or uh, suites, and we sit in Bloomington, Indiana, which is which is the best place I think to to sit. But it's not a yeah. major metropolitan uh, area. It's not Columbus. It's not even Minneapolis or where a lot of schools are. Are uh, located and and I think it's a real tribute to the tradition of basketball, the passion that Hoosiers have for basketball, the brand value that people around the country like to see Indiana University play basketball. Uh, the Big Ten Network is thrilled that Indiana University basketball is back because it drives eyeballs. People, it's a big deal. Um, so I, I think it's really uh, reinforcement uh, about what a special thing Indiana University basketball is, and and uh, and now that we're now that we're back, as it were. 
um, I think you know we'll we'll just enjoy that more and more going forward. That uh, particular study, I think, was trying to put a value like if if you were a professional franchise, how much somebody might spend for it, and I think it was 130 million dollars for. IU basketball, so mm-hmm. that's pretty good. I, the Big Ten Network was something I wanted to ask about, too. I know it seems to have met all the expectations and possibly even exceeded them for um, for at least revenue generation. Do you think it's done what it was supposed to do? I do. You know, I wasn't around when it was conceived, and it's easy to look back now and, 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 and say, well, that, was, you know, that made sense. But it was, it was extremely visionary by uh, Jim Delaney and the presidents who came together and said, yeah, let's do this thing. And there was a lot of choppy water as all the distribution stuff, you know, went on. And, you know, people are like, I can't find my Hoosiers. Where are they? And and a lot of frustration. And when I, you know, as, just as a fan, I'm like, this big network thing seems stupid to me. I mean, I can't find my game. I don't, why did we give up our rights to that and all that? But the reality is that the Big Ten Network's the best thing that ever happened at the Big Ten and in general in Indiana in particular. Um it, it, it generates revenues that are shared equally among all the institutions. So Indiana has the smallest athletic budget of any public school in the Big Ten on a, on a pro rata basis based on our number of sports, yet we take the same size share that Ohio State, for example, takes, which is the largest budget. That, that money means a lot more to us and enables us to compete much in the way the NFL – some of the magic of the NFL is their revenue-sharing approach, which makes all the markets fairly competitive – and the Big Ten Network helps us be competitive in a league where, you know, Michigan, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, each one will make more in one football Saturday than we will make in an entire six- or seven-game home schedule. That's what we're fighting up against. The Big Ten Network helps to equalize that. Uh, beyond that, it provides great exposure. We recruit kids in California, Alberta, Canada, Alabama, and their parents can watch them play water polo, field hockey, you know, softball, uh, which gives us a, a major advantage over other other conferences. So, despite the frustration some of your listeners may have had with uh, with finding the the games, it is a great thing uh, for Indiana, and uh, I think we'll continue to give the conference a competitive advantage. I wanted to go back to Joe's question because I I, I was going to ask us a follow up, and then I went to that other idea. Mm-hmm. But um, Assembly Hall, you mentioned it's forty years old, mm-hmm. doesn't have suites. Are there any plans on the on the horizon to try to do some sort of an updating of, of the hall? You know, not not uh, not from my perspective. I, I think that Cook Hall, with all of its bells and whistles and technology and and eye candy uh, for for uh, uh, recruits, and then and then and then substantive advantages where the kids can use their swipe card and be in there twenty four hours a day, practicing, which they which they often are. Um, I think that relieves pressure to uh, have a new assembly hall. And frankly, I think the one-two punch of Cook Hall with all of its uh, modern amenities tied physically, you know, there's a tunnel, I mean, they're physically connected um, to this icon, what is now an iconic venue, which makes me feel old because I remember when it was opened. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you know, in this conference around the country, it's it's an old, venerable arena. And when they go on TV at assembly hall, you know where you are. You may not know that at the multi-use facilities in Wisconsin and Ohio State and you know, St. John's Arena is no more and all that, um, but you do at Indiana University. So I, I think it's a major, major positive. Um, I don't think we need uh, necessarily to do the uh, enhancements to generate more economic activity. We do pretty well when Assembly Hall is full, and, and so that's the long answer. The short answer is I, I, don't, I don't see that as a, as a priority uh, in the foreseeable future. Okay. You know, baseball kind of went through that with building all those big bowl stadiums, and maybe we're seeing that with some college basketball, like Ohio State, Wisconsin, more of the, the bowl shape. I think if the time does come, it's going to be a major, major decision on what to build, though, down the road, wouldn't you say? Well, it absolutely, it absolutely is. And, uh, you know, those, those arenas are built the way they are. Uh, Penn, Penn State's an example, too, because they're multipurpose. They want to have concerts mm-hmm. in them, and they want to have hockey in them, and 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 so you you get up with this generic um, bowl like the it's like you don't know if you're Three Rivers Stadium or mm-hmm. Bush Stadium or or Riverfront Stadium because they all looked you know like Soviet Politburo you know <laughs> parks or something um, and, uh, and 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 so unfortunately it's harder and harder to build character laden basketball facilities because of requirements like. You know, the American with Disabilities Act and so forth and so on. It's it's harder to be closer to the action. It's harder to 
to do the things that you know you did with Market Square Arena and Assembly Hall and and so forth. So um, I think we would lose. We would now. Some people might say that's a good thing because it's such a weird building. But 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 um, uh, at this point, I think having a having a signature building is a pretty cool thing. It'd be it'd be harder to do that in a new building. Yeah, I wanted to confirm too, just really quick. At the end of the Kentucky game. Did I hear you were standing on top of the scorers bench with your hands up in the air? Um, you know, I cannot effectively deny that. You know, there's a photographic evidence uh, that that was the case. I was I was actually in the process of just trying to get onto the court, but I did um, delay a bit on the on the press table and, and uh, give a couple arm uh, uh, cheers. So yeah, that's that's. Uh, that's I, I think a well deserved moment <laughs> right, that thanks, we all Joe. had. <laughs> in the uh, last couple of minutes, I wanted to ask about conference expansion. We seem to go through that every discuss large discussions of it every six to nine months anything on the on tap for the big 10 um as we sit here now no and the short answer on going forward i'm not i'm not sure i don't know i mean it's such a volatile environment i think the big 10 did expansion the right way announced they were going to do it made it fairly transparent um we partnered with a geographically contiguous you know uh, harmonious you know Big Ten, big uh, major research university, football royalty, so forth and so on. Some of these crazy connections with schools that that, that don't have any relationship to each other, I think those are likely to fray at the edges. And what might look like a, a great thing with a whole bunch of teams may not over time. It's not monopoly. Uh, the people with the most don't win. It's got to make sense in terms of value, in terms of uh, uh, not draining resources from the core schools to the new schools. And and so I, I, I think it's hard to see what new partners make sense in that model. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if we didn't expand at all. On the other hand, things change, and next time I'm on, we may be talking about new teams. Who knows? All right. We'll have you on soon, I'm sure. Excellent. At least, at least uh, next year to talk about the national championship team. All right. Love it. Love <laughs> okay. it. Or maybe the Rose Bowl. Right? There you go. I like that, too. <laughs> all right. Uh, we are out of time. I want to thank Fred, Fred Glass for being here with us today. It's been a great discussion about IU athletics. Joe Rand, thanks for running in and joining me for the second thank half of the Thank you. Program. It was fun. Really appreciate it. Uh, for uh, Mary Catherine, who couldn't make it today, for producers Gretchen Frazee and Julie Raw, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933, online at mypremierortho.com.